Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Agile Podcast summary episode for one of our newest prestigious pints episode, which was Henrik Knieberg. And Henrik's a te- technical coach, and he's been around the Agile space for a long, long time. Started very much with XP, um, and famous for books as such as Scrum and XP from the Trenches and Lean and XP from the Trenches. So it was great to get um, his thoughts on what he's up to, who he's working for, and he's worked for some pretty cool companies, I'll have to say that, especially if you're a a 10-year-old boy like my son is. (laughs) So um, we hope you enjoy it. Um, We hope you enjoy our little um, overview here. Um, If you want to get the full hour-long episode uh, of our chat with Henrik, head over to patreon.com forward slash the agile podcast to hear the full version here we go play the jingle (laughs) hello jeff hello mate how are you morning after the night before well yeah we've got to be careful um um, time time wise here, but uh, at the moment we're in the midst of a, a European Championship. But by the time this goes out, it probably won't be. Uh, it'll be it'll a probably, distant memory. It'll be a, a, a finish. But we're, at the moment, as it stands on today, we're on a high as as English football fans. Yeah, having just secured a place in the final. But who knows what happened? What the what the final brings? Hmm. So, uh, well, yeah. I'm I'm not a big believer in uh, in fate or anything like that. So I today am having an Italian beer, <laughs> a Moretti Zero, a so Moretti non-alcoholic. Zero. I didn't know they did a non-alcoholic version. Neither did I. So I thought I'd give it a try. <clears throat> it's a lovely summer's day. At last, the sun's out. I've got some orange squash, which is, I suppose. It um, uh, reminds me of Wimbledon, yeah. Because it's Wimbledon at the moment, orange squash. Uh, it's not barley water, as you would no. probably find, but uh, it's Robinsons, which used to be a a, a a sponsor of Wimbledon. Other orange squash brands are available. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you know what it tastes like? <laughs> Oranges. Yes. Well done. Yeah, good guess. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's not quite. Well, it's lunchtime here in the UK, so. I'm being sensible, as as is Jeff. We we endorse responsible drinking, don't we, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're here today to um, discuss um, and summarise another little prestigious pints episode we did with uh, our uh, our friend and our our colleague um, and and uh, one of our inspirations, Henrik Knieberg. We never Knie- did find out. We never did you- ask him. Is it Knieberg or Kneiberg? Um, or just Nieberg. Or just Nieberg. Is there a silent K? Who knows? But yeah, so um, it was great. It was um, it was a good a good chat with him, and um, uh, I was I couldn't honestly remember the last time I I met him in person. Um, I think it was at a conference in Stockholm at some point. But he's Stockholm based, isn't he? Yes. And um, he was uh, when he joined us. I remember it because it was blazing sunshine behind him, a, a bright blue clear sky, and I think it was raining in the yeah. UK when we recorded. 
So it was um, immediately he um, he got my back up by <laughs> by just being in a nice uh, weather weather location. But no, it was um, it was great to kind of connect with him again. I haven't spoken to him for for a long time, one to one. Um, but I think he's an, an interesting, um, certainly a, a, from a coaching perspective and from a, he's always struck me as someone who's been very hands-on yeah. as, as far as a coach. I think he used to be a trainer. I'm not sure if he does much training anymore. Yeah. most I think mostly internal with just a little bit of external, I think. Yeah. yeah. But very much um, one of those... And a lot of the books that he wrote um, and a lot of the, the papers that he's published very much um, at the coalface in terms mm. of applying Agile um, and Scrum and XP. From and the trenches. And particularly XP from the trenches, yeah. So it was great to get... I, I felt like we were having some um, some really um, good conversations about what's actually happening with, with companies that he's working with now. And, and he's very much gone back to... Um, Gone back to his roots, I think mm. now. But um, but the thing that, that probably uh, we'll cover that, and we're going to summarise a few of the, the um, clips from our full hour-long episode that you can uh, listen to on our Patreon page. So we kind of, if you remember back, we we started with a bit of a conversation around the thing that most people want to talk about with Hendrik, which seems to be Spotify, and yeah. he's not he's not actually there anymore. No. Um, but um, it's kind of what he became probably known for or, or um particularly from a scaling sense and and people um talk about the spotify model we'll come on to that in a minute but we um we started by basically asking um, how did he come to work at spotify how did that firstly come about here's a little clip so i realized i was traveling around a lot doing you know various consulting gigs and talks which i enjoyed but i felt completely unfocused and then I did this kind of self-coaching thing where I started listing down what would be my ideal work situation, ideal client. And I wrote down like a kind of vision, like this is what I would like to do. And then to my surprise, I realized that if that client calls me today, I'm going to have to say no because I won't have capacity for it, yeah. which would be stupid. So that's when I decided to kind of take a break and you know clear my calendar a little bit and try to be a little bit more deliberate about what I spent time doing. So I, so I took a break. I spent, went traveling six, six months with my, with my family. Um, and then came back kind of fresh with an empty calendar. And, that, and that's when I contacted Spotify because I'd worked a little bit with them in the past. Um, but then I was like, actually, Spotify kind of ticked all the boxes in terms of what I want to do. Yeah. I basically just did a, you know, my, my first and last cold call, sales cold call. I hate sales. It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> but I kind of call, called a, a guy that I, that, that I knew there, one of the middle managers, and basically said, hey, you know, you, you guys have growth pain, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, do you want help with that? And he said, yes. And then we had lunch and they was. They had lunch and who knows what happens next. But um, yeah, it's um, a, a couple of things in there. I, li I like the phrase growth pain. Well, I'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> but, um, um, it's interesting. He, he talked a lot about the idea of clearing his diary, clearing mm -hmm. his calendar and seeking out a company that he was interested in working with and I think that's um it's a lovely thing to be able to do um and he's done it a few times in his career that have kind of picked out companies that he's he's interested in well you say that's something you say that almost as if it's something that you and I wouldn't be able to do we wouldn't have the luxury of being able to do but he 
he created the opportunity and then made it happen. Mm. But I think, yeah, it's a. I think probably, and um, yeah, I'm 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 guilty of this that you as a self as being self-employed as as Henrik is and, and you and I are, you do get quite. Um, I get. I'm not going to say you do, but I do. You do get a bit worried about where the next paycheck's coming from, and to be able to take time off, which he did with his family, and I completely respect that, and I'd love to do that the same thing, and then just be able to, you know, kind of chase, but narrow down his his client base in terms of who he wants to work with. It's very admirable, I think. I think. I mean, I've done something. I've done the first part of that, very similar. I haven't. I haven't actually gone out and identified a, a company that I wanted to work for and basically tapped them up. But I have cleared my calendar so that I can shift what I do. Um, and it's something that not just individuals but organisations need to do as well because it's they, it's all very well saying you know, we want to be able to do this, we want to be able to shift our product portfolio, we want to shift our focus or we want to you know, become digitalised or whatever but if you're not prepared to stop what you're currently doing and, and actually create capacity for that then you're never going to get there and that's painful it, it's quite it's a difficult thing to do hmm and he, I think he joined Spotify um, at a time when like I say it was growing and the, the phrase growth paid he used there um, and they were this was before the Spotify model so obviously they were scaling quite um, aggressively, lots of developers and whatever coming on board. So we inevitably got onto the question about the Spotify model and mm. we do. The main topic was, or the main interesting um, uh, conversation was, well, where did it actually come from? How did it, how did it uh, come about? Here's a little clip. It was, a, it was the weirdest thing ever. Um, we were growing quite quickly. And I realized that to be there's something magical here, and it it can easily be lost as new people come pouring in. So I, so I started becoming the guy that would you know introduce new newcomers to what is Spotify about, what is what are we trying to be. And uh, then at some point uh, I was going to do a talk at a conference in Paris, I think. And, and then I I, I su suggested that as a topic, and it, it went completely viral. Everyone was talking about. I don't think they used the term Spotify model at the time, but. I just noticed that people were ex extremely engaged in it. So I realized, yeah, oh, it's yeah. not—it's not just me. There's others who think there's interesting stuff happening here. Um, and I started getting a lot of requests to do more talks around it, but also internally a lot of more, more requests. So finally, someone suggested that, hey, maybe you should make a video instead of just you talking all the time. You know, make it, it'll scale better if you just put put it down in a video. So so I did that. I made a video out of it. I figured that great. Now I can just put out the video, and I don't have to re keep to redoing the talk. Which, of course, had the exact opposite effect. <laughs> what I didn't expect was when I put that video out there, I, I didn't expect it to become a, like a, a model, which, you know, hundreds of companies would use as their kind of framework. That was a big surprise. But was it really a surprise? I think, so the thing that I've written down here in terms of my notes from the call, but is that I think companies love that type of thing. And um, so I remember especially some of the early conferences that we spoke at and Ken Schwaber said to us that companies need to, you know, other people need to hear success stories. They need to hear uh, the narratives of other organizations who are doing this successfully and that, that it can be, can be done. Yeah. So I think people latch onto that. They like that. We all love to follow a recipe, don't we? We like to know someone else is doing it. 
let's just copy, let's just mm. um, cut and paste. Well, I remember so, being told it, as a youngster, you know, why, why, why suffer the pain of making your own mistakes if you can avoid them by copying other people um, and, and basically learn from their mistakes? And it's, it's not necessarily something I've followed throughout my career or my life, but it's something I remember. I think it's quite a common part of human nature. Hmm. It's interesting as well how it, um, it started from a training, a training video or not a, a, a training presentation. Like an induction thing. Yeah. Onboarding. So it was obviously something that they were doing. Their 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 structure, how they were set up, but it was a way to bring new developers or new um, new employees into that environment and understand how things are how things are set up. Yeah, and became it was, video. It was it was the hot topic. <clears throat> um, that and his Scrum and XP from the trenches, which a lot of people were reading. I a because it was free, easy to yeah. access, and yeah. B because it was sort of real life, not really trying to sell anything. It was just a this is you know how we're doing things, and it's kind of working for us. Um, and it never, never really comes across as someone who's particularly dogmatic, is does he, Henrik? No. And I think he does kind of ebb and flow around what, what he's doing or what he's using, what how, who he's learning from and how he's applying it. I think he's quite pragmatic about um, his approach and, and, um, and the practices he's using. Um, what did come up, and we did ask him, we put him on the spot a little bit about, because it's... Um, we've seen a lot of stuff on social media about obviously, and we hear it all the time with companies that we're, we're coaching who are the, the phrase squads and, and guilds and tribes comes up quite a lot. And obviously they they've taken that, that model and, and um, duplicated it or uh, copied it. And we asked him if it was how that makes him feel. Um, does it frustrate him? Um, I don't have any frustration anywhere. Actually. I know that some other people are kind of like, Hey, you shouldn't just copy a model and blah, blah. But, my experience is, is that people copy models all the time, copy other companies and learn from it and improve. And that's kind of the way things work. Uh, most of the ideas that we applied at Spotify weren't invented at Spotify. That was just us looking around and stealing the best ideas from everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think that's both natural and even good to copy from each other. Um, the most important thing is, of course, to adapt. You can't just copy and then not adapt. So that's, that, that was nice in terms of he's not at all precious about it. And quite honest that you know, even that model was probably taken from other companies and other templates that, that they were following and adapting and adjusting as they went it's, forward. Yeah, and it's, I think it speaks quite, because he is very unique in in the people that we've talked to in that his f primary focus has been generally over the years internal, um, working inside companies rather than as an external consultant. Hmm. And... He's unique in that he's managed to create an incredibly big following and name despite never really going down the branding route or having significant products himself. And so he, he wasn't really ever seemed to be interested in the IP behind the Spotify model or anything. We even joked about it being the Henrik model, right? Mm. Um, and the fact that he wasn't ever attached to it and the fact that it was always evolving. And I can imagine, he, he didn't say this, but I can imagine if I was in his position of seeing people copy something like that, thinking... 
almost laughing to myself, thinking, "You're copying something that's already out of date." You know, <laughs> so you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to copy what I'm doing because I've always moved on since you copied it. Yeah, and he's um, he, even now when he's he was talking about his um, his current job, he's 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 learning. He's he's very keen to learn from other people around him. Just very very humble and kind of in terms of. Um, that, that's that'll probably be a different way tomorrow to doing the same thing that we're doing now. So, he's um, he's worked in some pretty, from my perspective, fascinating companies. Um, You're a bit of a bit of a fanboy there in that. Room, I did, you? yeah. Again, I I apologised and a little <laughs> bit. I uh, I did. Well, my my son uh, Owen was um, when I told him I was going to be speaking to someone who works for the company that produces the Minecraft game. His jaw dropped to the floor. He was like, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. I'd love I'd love to have that job. Even though Owen didn't know what Henrik did and he didn't know what the... And doesn't know how computer games are made. But it's um, it's an interesting that it's... Um, he, I think Henrik's done this. He's, he's, he's been attracted to and he's ended up at companies... Um, Spotify, uh, Mojang, and and Lego, and um, we asked him a little bit about what's it like to be in companies like that. That companies that me as a, as a as a as a child, as a big kid, would love to be working for these companies. Mm. So we asked him a bit about that. Um, similarity, I guess, is a very experimental mindset and a very pragmatic approach to agile. You know, very little buzzwords and dogma, mm. um, and a, an extreme passion for the product. I think is a, is a is a common denominator. Also at Lego, people just care a lot. Yeah. Um, which makes things both easier and harder sometimes. Very yeah. easy companies to love, aren't they? Well, that's it. I think they are going to attract, they're going to attract people that want to build their products, aren't they? That want mm. to enjoy building their products and want to see people enjoying the products they're building. Well, you had a time like that at Nokia Music, didn't you? Yeah, and I was yeah when I was there, you were surrounded by, and I was surrounded by, um, musicians. It's amazing how um, a company that was building a music product, and and I know Spotify had a big um, recruitment drive on at the time, and there was a lot of Nokia music staff who were, I think ended up at Spotify. Mm. Um, but you're going to attract in in Nokia music, we attracted um, people with huge interest in music musicians that they were in bands and all of the the social aspects to our work so social gatherings would all be around music and seeing new bands up and coming bands in the bristol area and events um and kind of parties at the kind of music events and festivals so the whole ethos of the company was around music and i imagine it's a very similar thing for the likes of lego and the likes of Spotify, you you you're around people that enjoy not just building but using the product that they've got. Yeah, fellow brands of nerds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the nicest, most respectful possible way. Mm. But it's um, he said it's the little flippant comment at the end there. It can make things easier or harder in some respects. Why? Because we just talked about what makes it easy, but what? What do you think makes it harder? Well, as you were as you were talking about just describing that, I was putting myself in the position of a product owner then and thinking how 
in a in an environment where the the development team consider themselves to be subject matter experts and also customers it must be very difficult to tone down and rein in their creativity their innovation if you like um, and I imagine the amount of potential motivational debt that comes from a tough priority call made by the product owner would be quite would be higher than normal because in some products where you actually don't really care that much you're not too bothered about whether product owner prioritizes feature A or feature set B but in, in a product that you're potentially using and, and you have a lot of say in and an interest in then kind of want it to be built for you wouldn't you hmm yeah I think you can potentially become too close and you know I'm a little bit guilty of that as well you know trying to think of new workshops and new products and whatever that I might be building am I am I building it for me as it came up in I think I was chatting with the wife about it and something the other day that she was trying to design a new product or a new offering but I was, I was saying to you, who, who's the who's the customer here? Is it you building something for you that you mm. want to do, or are you building it for something that you can sell? And you have to be quite brutal. Um, and it came up in a in a product owner course I was doing last week, where we do these kind of um, we do, we play around with smartphone kind of ideas, creativity of smartphone, just just create some ideas. But we tend to think of of a smartphone apps that we want. That's not necessarily yeah. what the greater public or you know, your, your audience necessarily needs. Well, it's a delicate balancing act, I think, because for if, if most innovations are people solving their own problems or problems of people that they're very close to them, um, and the passion and the dedication and the determination and the sweat equity, as you say, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, but my, my passion is behind this because I yeah. want to solve this problem, drives it through. Um, and in many cases, it's 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 just they are representative of other people because it's important um, that they solve it. But if it becomes a vanity project, um, you know, effectively indulging your own niche interests or slant on the product, yeah. then that's that way darkness lies. It reminded me as well a little bit of that phrase technical successes, which I still use. And I think I first we came across it back in BT back in the day. Mm-hmm. But we would have architects sitting, you know, um, devising solutions that that they were they were very much vanity projects that they would take two years to develop, and nobody could sell them because they were just something that didn't need to happen. They didn't need to be done. Yeah, I think there is a risk of that. We talked a little bit. Well, we 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 um, drilled into his kind of background and his, his how he got, as we've done with all our prestigious pints uh, guests. It was nice to know a little bit about um, his background, and it was he had quite a rounded, um, agile history. So let's have a little bit of a listen to that. I would say during different periods, it's been different people, but I would say it kind of started with probably Kent Beck and Ron Jeffries and uh, you know Ward Cunningham, the XP guys, basically. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as I started applying this at scale, then I stumbled into Scrum, and I started working with with Jeff Sutherland, mm-hmm. and then he became a big source of inspiration, basically because we worked a lot together. Yeah. And then uh, later on, I got into lean. I started getting more curious about the whole, you know, why does this work? What is the what is the, what are the principles behind, which led me to lean and systems thinking. So then I started working with Mary Poppendick and people like Don Reinertsen and that whole kind of lean side of things. Um, so it's been different during different periods. Um, basically, trying to you know learn from as many people as as I can. 
So Vapor started with XP, and he, yeah, he mentioned they used his, um, Scrum to scale XP. Basically, XP sounded like it was already being done, you know, well amongst the team. Yeah. Putting that Scrum kind of layer on top of it. And then Lean came along afterwards. Mm. So constantly kind that of... That surprised me. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I assumed it was to be, he had a history in Lean and then and got more into um, Agile and Scrum because of that. But is but when, once he mentioned that, I remembered the chronology of it was Scrum and XP from the trenches and then Lean from the trenches was later. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I, I wasn't as aware of his technical background and technical passion um, that he still has. Uh, yeah. And ev everything else seemed to be an enabler of that. Yeah, he, he didn't seem to be... Well, well he, he, he kind of claimed that actually he didn't realize until relatively recently that actually what he wanted to be was was back as a coder um but i, I think that was some for me that, that when he was talking almost I, I don't understand how he could have seen that so late mm. the way that he was describing everything as being an enabler of the technical practices and the successful uh, use of code if you like mm. that was quite important to him because he's and he, he came on to mention this a bit later, but he's um, he's actually gone back a step. That sounds terrible, but he's he's returned to more of like you say more coding now. That's what he's doing now. He's actually he's a he's a developer on a team yeah. um, rather than a coach um, or a pure technical coach, which I think was probably his his remit for a long time. Is kind of advising people on. Technically, not not so much probably, and, and we we we'd never survive in that kind of role with Jeff as technical coaches. We we're not clever enough. Um, no, but we would. Uh, he found he he talked um, quite candidly about how he's he almost saw himself as a bit of that imposter syndrome that that I'm um, as a coach. Um, he didn't feel he he had enough knowledge. He didn't feel he had he could. Um, advise someone who's actually doing it on the ground. So there's a little clip on this, which we'll we'll talk on uh, a bit briefly. Hang on. There. But now that I'm working almost full time doing actual design and development and working a team, and kind of practicing the stuff I've been talking about for all these years, I've noticed my confidence go up also because I, I, I guess I didn't realize how much I was guessing before as a coach. Right. You're, you're trying to help a team solve a problem, but is it their most important problem? Mm. You're suggesting something. Is it a good suggestion? You're kind of guessing. And I find that the, the longer time I worked as a coach and not doing development, the more kind of on thin ice I was. And I would realize sometimes after the fact that this thing that I said was really important was actually the wrong thing for this team. Yeah. And they were just listening and smiling and nodding and waiting for me to leave so they can go back to doing what they needed to do. <laughs> and that's interesting. So... Um especially from a technical perspective that um, he said coaches are guessing. And I think that's, that's true in many respects that um, you are kind of guessing. And again, I suppose that's the risk, isn't it? If you are advising as a coach rather yeah. than letting, rather than letting a team discover for themselves, mm. I'm not saying that's what he was doing here, but I imagine from a, um, a technical, from, from, from a mentoring perspective, a senior coach or a senior technical lead is um is advising yeah i think he had uh he had that sort of what did the what did the toyota team call them um chief engineers 
yeah that sort of responsibility and expertise um in that in that role rather than a than a more pure coaching perspective not right or wrong just that that was how he saw it and that was what the, that was what he was there for and that's what the team were looking for from him and how yeah if you are looking to provide that that expertise that knowledge that guidance he could feel his his skill set deteriorating the the longer he was away from the keyboard mm. and yeah you know, he, he it took him a while to realize that you know he didn't like that he didn't he he, he preferred being there actually building the product rather than coaching those who were building it and mm. knowing that and then being able to do something about it or having the courage to do something about it i think is uh, is, is is laudable yeah the the never the question from my perspective i remember um came up in the conversation was around how does he then see the scrum master role and that kind of also being a um a developer within the team and he talked quite a lot um we haven't got a clip of it here but it's um if you are interested look at the full interview but he talked about this idea of co-coaching and how he as a technical coach um kind of would um almost um partner with a, a scrum master in terms of trying to add, um, advise from a te te coach from a technical perspective but also from a, a process pers uh, perspective as well it's quite a, a nice kind of um a collaborative um a partnership he, he built with with scrum masters with, within those teams yeah yeah um so yeah we've got just a <clears throat> we, we've obviously we've summarized the the conversation massively but i think it's a nice um he we ended with um he's he's always been someone who's very very family orientated um and i remember we spoke a lot to i remember him turning up to conferences i think you mentioned you mentioned mm. this on the on the chat he used to he'd be um uh someone who would turn up to conferences with his children um with him all the time and he was his family have very much always been seen to um be part of of his career and his um his journey and I think he's, he's that's great and he's a huge advocate of of trying to help his and and shape and and bring his, his kids with him on, on that kind of journey mm. and the subject of kids came up um and we've got a little soundbite here which uh which I think will be a, an interesting conversation let's go for this but the mantra kind of is find out what it is you love to do and then do that and there's this really lovely model called the uh, um ikigai from japan Iki. I don't know exactly the back, but you maybe have seen it. There's four, yeah. it's a, it's a Venn diagram of four circles, right? Perfect. So there's that, what the world needs. There is what you enjoy doing. There's what you can earn a living off of. And then there is what you're good at. Yeah. Uh, I tend to de-emphasize the, what you're good at, because if you enjoy doing something, you, you tend to get good at it. Yeah. But, but the other three circles, right? The world needs it. You can earn a living off it. You enjoy doing it and just try stuff. So I guess that's what I encourage my kids to do. Tr try things and fi find what, what, what gives you that sense of joy. And then hopefully you'll find a way to earn a living, 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 living off of it. Um, it's a great ethos, isn't it? It's a great, yeah. it's, a, it's a great thing to to try and pass on to your children. Well, he um, hasn't had, and we haven't either. We haven't, and I think don't think many people do these days have a very linear career path. No, yeah, it's not certainly not one that he planned out. It's not one that yeah you know, he thought this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. And he had steps to get there, and every now and again he he'd get a bit, little bit closer to it. Um, it was a case of trying things and, and going down paths that he, he preferred and liked the look of. Sometimes turning back 
uh, sometimes going around and, and coming out the other side and realizing he's sort of back where he was, but you know, at a different level. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of my path as well, in that it was very much a, just suck it and see. I, I tended to say yes to a lot of things um, and then just see what stuck and, and see what worked, mm. which is a little bit ironic considering we spend a lot of our time telling polytonists to stop saying yes to everything. Um, but, you know, yeah. it's, careers are different to product backlogs. It's amazing that um, we do that journey lines activity, which um, mm. we, we've already thanked Lisa Adkins for. Um, but in that journey lines activity we would do with, with in our advanced courses where we'd map people's careers. It's amazing how many people's careers take a downturn hmm. almost or very early on in that process where they've, it's not turned out to be everything it cracked up to be. And I wish I'd done something else at university or college. And I quickly realized I, was, I wasn't as good at this as I thought I would and I wanted to do something else. So yeah, finding that, finding that out early rather than later and just I, something I try and tell my kids is is um especially now even at the my my daughter at the age of 12 is having to choose between um French and German at the age of you know a language um choice at school and she I mean she doesn't know um so I'm trying to encourage her to do both if you if you enjoy it just try and do as many of those things as you can then keep your just, options just, open, yeah. keep your options open and decide later but yeah very much try and do what you enjoy rather, you know, rather than... It's a um, funny thing. I, the, um, I saw something I, th I thought was hilarious. Partly funny because it was so true. Um, and so my daughter's finished her A-levels and is thinking, well, what am I going to do in my career? And it's obviously not the first time she said think about it, but yeah, this thing I saw was, you know, isn't it weird that you know, we ask people at 18 to make ridiculously difficult and important decisions about their life, career, uh, when only a month ago they were asking for permission to go to the toilet. <laughs> wow, yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and life is is an agile, whether we like it or not, you know, it's, this isn't me promoting about life being agile, life is an agile thing, it's not an all or what nothing thing. You know, There are incremental realizations and deliveries of value along the way. Mm. Um, and as long as you're stepping back now and again and learning from it no decision really is is permanent mm. so okay some are more expensive to undo some take longer to undo but yeah make sure you're getting value along the way because you know, before it's before you know it you'll be our age and thinking well geez yeah you'll have gray hair on me you haven't got so much gray hair but i certainly have yeah so um it was good it was a good conversation and um, <clears throat> inevitably there was um, we had to end the conversation and we did There was we ended on a little bit of an easter egg we're not going to give that easter egg away now but if any of you um, out there listening are big Minecraft fans I was you know really pushing uh, Henrik hard for some kind of exclusive around uh, what's coming up with Minecraft mainly because my son demanded that yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> look at you with your Minecraft bar virtual <laughs> But no, um, um, and we, we did try and get something out of him in terms of what um, what future releases are coming up, what's on the on the roadmap for for that uh, product. But yeah, so listen, you'll have to listen to the whole episode on our Patreon page to uh, to capture that. But it was great to talk to him, um, and it's great again one of the benefits of this um, this remote way of working is we have been been able to reconnect with people we haven't seen and heard of um, uh, for a long time. So that it was a very much a, a a good chance to catch up.
Yeah. And maybe one day we'll get back and be able to raise a proper glass with him. Yeah, that'd be nice. So there we are. That's pretty much it, Jeff. Hopefully you'll be out of self-isolation soon and we'll be able to get back to the pub. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes, at the time that this is being being filmed, um, there's a phrase that's coming out of the UK now, I've been pinged. Uh, That means uh, my phone alert has gone off saying that I need to self-isolate because someone who I've walked past in the street or um, whatever it might be has tested positive for COVID. I'm just, any of you worriers out there, I'm okay. I know I sound a bit bunged up, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm testing negative. But I have to self-isolate for another five days. And I'm and already going... Yeah, I'm already going a little bit crazy. So until the next time, Jeff. Yeah. Um, we'll see, I'll see you soon as well. We'll see you maybe face-to-face uh-huh. at some point. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Ta-da.